Welcome to the Future Strategist Podcast with James Miller. Today I'm doing my first interview. I'm interviewing a friend of mine, um, Rachel Haywire. Uh, hello, Rachel. Hi, James. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. And I appreciate you uh, joining me today. So yeah. um, why don't you describe yourself briefly? Okay. I'm an artist and a writer. I run a media website called Trigger Warning. It's for people that think outside of the box and express things in a politically incorrect way. We cover art, we cover film, we cover philosophy, politics, a bit of everything. Okay, yeah, and I've, I've written a few articles for Trigger Warning, so I think it's yeah, a great site. Yeah. So in, in Trigger Warning, like what, what's your goal with the website? My ultimate goal is to make things more entertaining and creative for people that are not social justice types of people. I want to bring the creative element back. I feel like the majority of artistic, you know, really passionate output has really not been coming from, from the left anymore. You know, like after there was a lot of power infighting, they sort of like doled themselves down. I found all the passion was coming from the right. And what I want to do is bring that back and you know, that's what Trigger Warning is about now. And we're, we're also more of a philosophical magazine, too. We don't just do politics. We do really just difficult thoughts, you know, that people want to express that they might not be able to express anymore. I'm um, like, for example, your article <laughs> that, that had a, my girls hate getting asked out on dates by nerds. Oh, that yes. That caused yes. so much triggering. People were so offended. It was so funny. And all you were doing was <laughs> explaining, like, basic evolutionary psychology. <laughs> So. Oh, really? I didn't realize it generated that much controversy. So oh, I, yeah. People were so pissed. It was so funny. So uh, your website, I, I, I have a joke from your website. I say, you know, I should give it – when I start teaching my classes, um, I say, you know, I, I want to give you all a trigger warning. Um, I write for a website called Trigger Warning that makes fun of people who think they need, they need trigger warnings. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Um, so is that what the – is the site meant to make fun of trigger warnings? Well, we're making fun of censorship. We're making fun of people who have like this holier than thou sort of attitude where only their speech is acceptable, you know, and nobody else can really get through because mm -hmm. they control the narrative and yada yada. So we're just we're making fun of that pretentiousness. Yeah, and that I think that's a big rationality issue where we all want to be right. And you know, going back to evolutionary psychology, we when when someone like can come up with an argument against us. That makes us appear weak to our allies. And, you know, if we all think we're like cavemen and cavewomen, that means like the next time the bear comes, I won't be the one that will be saved. So yeah. I think a lot of us are like, you know, being proved wrong endangers our lives and we, we can't sort of separate that primitive fear. And so when there are arguments that can be used against us, what we really like to do is have them ruled out of bounds. Like, oh, no, that argument, I can't argue against it, but I know it's a hate factor. It's insensitive for you to say that. Or you're a bad and evil person, so I don't have to address that. I'm going to give you no – in fact, I'm a morally good person for not even addressing that really strong argument against me. Yeah, I think it's actually a really dangerous attitude to have to want to censor things that you disagree with just because you feel like that is threatening your territory or your reputation or – or whatever, that only makes the ideas more repressed and it only makes the people who are, are spewing these quote unquote hate facts more angry, you know, and it makes them more, more hateful. Yeah, it, it makes us hard for to communicate and to reach agreement because, you know, if the right and left have different views of what constitute hate facts. Yeah, I and mean. And so when but... we talk to each other, both people will trigger, you know, these things, 
these these landmines in the other's view and and you know and then you you can't reach agreement because you yeah i think the whole idea of hate facts sounds sort of like a contradiction in itself i mean how can a fact be hateful you know in the first place if it's considered hateful and it's true then maybe we need to look at why something is true that is considered hateful in the first place and come up with a term you know, besides hate to describe things that, that are true. You know, I, I don't see how something that is true can be hateful. I'm still well, wrapping my mind around that. Well, let me just push back a bit on that. Let's say that, I don't know, on my door at Smith College, I listed, you know, like all the murders committed just by one racial group in my city. And I okay. just, that's all I did. And I just, every time there was a new crime or murder committed by someone of a particular racial group, I put that at my door. I didn't balance it by saying this is the percent of all murders. Would that, I mean, it's true, right? I accurately list all of the murders committed by one race. It's true, but I'm also not putting it in context. I'm not also saying, well, this is the percent committed by people of other races. Would that, I mean, would that be like a hate fact? Would that be unfair and biased? Well, I mean, it's obviously biased if you're only focusing on one race. I mean, it's hard to not say that's biased, but I don't see how it would be um, hateful unless, I guess, a, a certain emotion is expressed. Like, if you were to be like, I really hate this one race and I think they should all die, then yeah. But if you're just bringing up statistics, it's not hateful, but it's definitely biased if you only bring up one race, so... I'm going to go with biased and not hateful. <laughs> okay. Now, another counter, I mean, I agree with you largely on these issues, but another counter argument are things like stereotype threat, where if you bring up certain topics, it makes it hard for people to think. Now, I, I don't agree with that. I haven't looked at the data myself, though. So what if there are people who are genuinely triggered and mentioning certain facts will cause them to not think as well? How, would you, I, I how do we handle that? I don't think it's our responsibility to to make harsh truths seem soft. You know, I don't think that we need to do that. If people can't accept facts for what they are, it's not our job to coddle them. It never has been. And I guess um, if you want to be more sensitive with your language around certain people, then, you know, you can go ahead and do that. I understand the reasons why, but not not everybody's going to be that way. Some people are going to use the First Amendment right and they're going to make you feel bad for it. That's just the way things are. Yeah, no, that, that's certainly true. And I mean, a, a weakness of people, I think, who say that certain language triggers them is say, well, that means there's a whole bunch of careers that you can never enter. I mean, you certainly yeah. couldn't be a lawyer because your opponent figures out your weakness and, you know, they'll destroy you at court. You shouldn't even be a surgeon because, you yeah. know, what if you overhear something while walking to the surgery, you overhear some patient saying something hateful right. and suddenly you can't perform the surgery. Well, you know, the, you, you, you can't get in any high stakes profession if mere words can, can trigger you into incompetence. Now that you've mentioned that, I'm actually concerned about surgeons that are politically correct and how they might treat a patient for saying something that they considered to be racist or homophobic. You know, maybe they wouldn't give them medical care that was as good because they were triggered by them. So that that's a, a whole new concern. I hadn't even thought about that. That's true. I bet people, though, are very careful around their doctors. They're, they're very careful not yeah. to offend their doctors, especially if they know if their doctor's going to operate on them. Yeah, but if they're, like, full frontal, you know, <laughs> crazy, they're not going to be careful. Yeah. You know, you could do – I wonder if you could do a study if you look at, like, 
like people with like these hardcore racist tattoos, like prisoners who have like right. swastikas on their forehead. I wonder the quality of medical care they get. Is it lower Probably. than other prisoners? It'd be hard to separate That's out other facts about them. Interesting question. Yeah. Um, I'd say that it probably is. I think that if you're a surgeon, you're operating on somebody with a swastika tattoo, you know, and you're like really put off by their views and you don't give them proper medical care, then I, I think that you're the shitty one. Um, <laughs> you know, because what I judge people on is action. Now, I'm a Jewish woman who has gotten a lot of hate from anti-Semitic neo-Nazi types. And I think that if it crosses into action, then that's when it becomes a problem. I don't care what people say. They, these um, white nationalists that are complaining about, you know, cultural Marxism and that are saying really hateful things about the Jews, you know, and mentioning me, you know, and I, and I get that now. They attack me for being Jewish, right? Even though, like, I gave them a voice. And, you know, I find it annoying. I find it petty and I find it pathetic, but it doesn't hurt me. It just seems like they're behaving like social justice warriors themselves, you know, with the whole, like, white genocide thing. Yeah. And um, they, they just seem like liberals to me, you know, um, they might be like nationalists, but they're still collectivists and they're still <laughs> displaying that victim mentality of if we, if we can't succeed because of immigration, you know, maybe they can't succeed because they're not successful and they're just failing at everything they do. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I see it from from that angle, too. But action is action. No matter what somebody calls you, no matter what somebody says about you. If they're not taking action that is aggressive against you, who the hell cares? Let people say what they want. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, we'd all be better off if that's how we felt. But I mean, there are a lot of people who are genuinely hurt by words. That's part of the problem I, I had is I think I'm less bothered by insults and words than most other people. And I didn't realize that. So I would say things that would, you know, I would be yeah. arguing and I would say things and I would hurt other people. And I'm like, but wait a minute. And it, it took me a while to realize that I'm not normal in that respect. <laughs> I think you are normal in that respect. I think that the people with the loudest voices now are just the people who complain about the words that other people use. Mm -hmm. Because they are obviously inexperienced and naive. And I would even go as far as saying that they haven't been through anything that was actually difficult. Because if they had actually struggled, they wouldn't be upset by words. Mm-hmm. So I mean, why are they being so upset about things that people say? Have they ever been in a fight? Have they ever been actually attacked? It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, I guess that's something we could study. We, we could look at people who've been traumatized and then try to measure how susceptible they are to things like stereotype threat. Yeah, you know, does it, does yeah, it matter a lot less to them because, yeah. you know, they've suffered a, a lot? Although the other, way to, the other way it could come out is that people who've suffered a lot of trauma, maybe they're, they're far more fragile and it's easier to push them over the edge. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how that would go. I, I fortunately haven't suffered much trauma in my life, so. Well, I subscribe to the anti-fragile theory where there are certain people who grow from trauma and become stronger from it. And there are certain people who trauma weakens and there are certain people who just don't react to it at all. But it's the people that get stronger through trauma that are, in my eyes, the people that are doing the best work because they're the ones who have experienced the most and have used it to make themselves a greater person, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's certainly possibly true. Of course, if that is true, I mean, should should parents deliberately expose their children to trauma? <laughs> well, I'd say that they shouldn't, um, you know, censor, they, they should not let them watch movies because they're you know, rated R or that kind of thing. 
um, they, they shouldn't shelter their children. They shouldn't block them from reality. You know, I'm not saying that they should like take them to a, a fetish party <laughs> at dinner. And some parents do that now, and I find it really, really? disgusting, oh, actually. Not in my yeah, like, <laughs> You're in that, Los Angeles? A whole, a whole other issue, yeah, where I'm like Spencer's Gifts. It's a kid's toy store. They still have vibrators now. And uh-huh. I'm just, I'm not cool with that. Um, so maybe that that's too much. But like shielding your kids from everything isn't good either. I think there's a medium here. Well, my 11-year-old son really wants to watch Game of Thrones. So when I watch uh-huh. it, I make sure he's not in the room and he hates that. Uh-huh. So do you think I should be shielding him from Game of Thrones? Well, you not letting him watch it is going to make him want to watch it more. Oh, and it does. he's probably yes. watching it with his friends anyway. I don't, <laughs> now, they're not quite able to do that. What he did do, though, is his grandpa took him to a bookstore mm-hmm. and he found the book Game of Thrones. Oh, and that's... he read it for like 20 minutes before my wife saw what he was doing oh uh, so. that's kind of adorable yeah it's, it's good really that he actually determined. read it's, it's a pretty yeah. difficult book for an 11 year old so it's something uh, yeah. that well but it was pretty funny our attempt to censor it just failed front <laughs> because we didn't think you know you know kid in a bookstore will find the book good he's a determined game of thrones fan that's oh, yeah. for sure well it's good yes yeah, part partially because he he can't do it yeah once you tell somebody they can't do something they're gonna want to do it and that's just like how it goes. I mean, that's why like Donald Trump is doing so well because everybody's like he's so horrible, you know. So people are like, oh, let me find out more. Yeah. You know, um, Marilyn Manson, same thing. You know, every time you hear about like some celebrity doing some horrible thing, there's always people that get into them more. You know, it's a, a marketing tactic. Yeah, Robin Hanson, who who has a great blog at Overcoming Bias, he he talked about that how people. Are like intellectuals are scolding voters for voting for Trump, but that seems to make Trump more popular. Oh, yeah. So handsome. I I read his article about that. that. Yeah, I read his article. It's about like telling a girl. It's like telling a girl that you can't date a bad boy. Right. You know, like I love that comparison because that that's exactly how it is with Trump. He's like the bad, yeah. unacceptable thing, so everybody's flocking to him. Yeah, and he's running as the alpha male bad boy. <laughs> yeah, it's out of his way. Funny. That's, I mean, that's why I mean, a lot of people think Trump can't be trusted with atomic weapons. But my theory is that he's he's acting more insane than he really is. I think that's true. I think that he's specifically trying to get as many votes as he can. And that that's just what's going on with politics. People are going to say anything to get as many votes as possible. I don't even believe that he's going to build a wall. He's channeling the angst of the new underclass. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's telling them exactly what they want to hear, but who knows what he's going to do if he gets elected? Maybe he won't do anything. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe he'll just sit on his ass and die. who knows? Yeah, it's very unpredictable, which is a bit scary, but it would be interesting if the, you know, the, the consequence of this big political correct movement we've had since, I guess, the 1980s is yep. to elect Donald Trump. I think it kind of is. I think if it wasn't for the extreme political correctness, then somebody like him wouldn't have gained power. Yeah. Well, he doesn't quite have it yet, but... No, he, he has cultural power. He has that's, that's power a over point. a lot of people now. He has this this whole cult, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you've you've seen his his Twitter defenders, right? Yes, yes. So they, these people, you know, are very very angry right now, and they feel that they've been shut out of the media, and they feel that immigrants have taken their jobs, and you know, this is like understandable to an extent. But I think what these people don't understand is that Trump is just pandering to them. I don't think that he actually cares about them like they believe he does. He probably doesn't, but at least when you, at least he's being pandered to. 
at least, I mean, at least, you know, at least you're being pandered to, which is better than you know, what the other candidates are doing, which is, you know, ignoring you or, or saying, you know, they're saying, well, this problem is caused by white males. And if you're a poor white male, you're like, no, I haven't caused these problems. Why am I being blamed? For yeah. This? Yeah. I think that a lot of poor white males started off is like hardcore leftist anti-capitalist. Mm. And now they've become um, Trumpkins. Is Absolutely. that the, the term? Uh, so, you know, they, they that, I'm not sure if that's an insult or a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually very objective about it. I'm not for or against Trump. I'm more fascinated by the metapolitics that are going on around it. Like, I, I'm not a, a person who votes. I don't believe that voting changes anything. But I like to look at it from an analytical view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the odds of your vote making a difference are, are really, really tiny. So you probably shouldn't vote unless you get great enjoyment from doing so. Yeah, I think it's a big thing where people pat themselves on the back, you know, where they go around with all the stickers. Let's say I voted. Yeah. You know, like you have to vote and you must go. And if you don't vote, then you're part of the problem. And voting really doesn't do anything. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you could influence a million other people to vote a certain way, then it would be worth putting in the time. But yeah. the ordinary person, you know, it doesn't matter, especially for I mean, where we live. I mean, I'm in Massachusetts. You're in California. If a yeah. one vote in Massachusetts decides how Massachusetts will go, that means the Republican is one in a landslide. And if one vote in California decides how California goes, that means the Democrats have won. No, that also means Republicans have won in a landslide. Sorry. Right. So, I mean, like if we live yeah. in these states where voting for Trump would just be like a protest vote. Right. It's just a form of of signaling you know it's virtue signaling. Yes, virtue signaling like we we voted for trump in a blue state aren't we so cool not really nothing changed yeah and <laughs> we, i actually think wasted virtu some time I mean, virtual <laughs> signal, virtue signaling is evil because it i think it substitutes for real altruism yeah my theory is that all of us or most people have a, like a small desire to help people who aren't our friends or family it's not much but it's a little maybe mm -hmm. we'll give like one percent of our paycheck but if we can substitute for that virtue signaling, doing something that does actually no real good for the world, but makes it feel like we've done something good, then we'll just, that'll like crush our tiny altruistic instinct. I agree. I think that the more people virtue signal, the less virtue they actually have. Yeah. Because all they're doing is like showing off an article of clothing, but the article of clothing is their ideology. Yes, yes, it's become an identity. It's a fashion show of moralistic beliefs and you know, it's like I'm more moral than you because I think this and what what's going on? Who are they helping? Nobody. Well, what happens to your website? Trigger warning: If we have a president, Donald Trump, I mean, it's not a protest. That would sound like you're, you become part of the establishment, I guess. Well, being that I'm not a Trump supporter and that we have people that are for and against Trump that write for trigger warning, I don't think it'll make that much of a difference because our goal isn't to you know, shill for a candidate, as they say, our goal is to present dissenting and popular views that are more on the creative side of things with a flair of intellectualism, you know, and an anti-PC aesthetic um, <laughs> to sound like as utterly, you know, um, marketable as possible, just because I like to do a parody of that, you know, we're, we're an anti-PC website. We don't care what your views are. We care if you challenge people's minds. You know, if you challenge the way people think, you know, you, you can vote for Bernie Sanders for all I care. Just challenge the way that people think. That's what matters. Free thought. Yeah, well, that's how the marketplace of ideas is supposed to work. If, you know, people are, are one group of the Internet or one group of the marketplace is being censored, there should be a market opening for other people Absolutely. who challenge that. Which I saw, 
I, on Twitter, you were mentioning something about um, c coming up with an alternative to Twitter now that Twitter is like shutting down the accounts of conservatives. Yeah, yeah, what's happening is terrible. I had an incident where they, there was an impersonator of mine and <laughs> it took them three days just to suspend their account uh. because I was like on some bad list, you know, of, of like people that were considered <laughs> threatening or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and they wouldn't give me an account back for three days. So, and they banned a lot of people just for their views. Like they banned that guy, Stacey McCain. They didn't even tell him why. And yeah. he was a conservative with a bunch of followers. He was really influential. I mean, I just, I can't see how they can do that to somebody. It's just, it's sick behavior. Yeah. I, I have to confess. I, I always, I, I thought Stacey McCain was one of John McCain's children until I investigated <laughs> it further. So I thought, oh, my God, they're banning John McCain's children. And then I realized it was not that. But I... <laughs> That's so funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, me if it is. you can see, I mean, you, you can see the, the people at Twitter who want the job of shutting down accounts are going to be the people who are most motivated by, you know, let's knock out speech that's evil or that we find hateful. So yeah. I, I can see how in any organization, the people who would gravitate to that. I think the big thing that they're missing, and this is what I always say when I talk to people like this, is if people are hateful, mm -hmm. don't you want to know who they are? And don't you want to know what their views are? So if you have to deal with them, you can at least be aware of what they're like. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a good argument to use on liberals because they say, well, we can't have these ideas because they'll lead people to destructive, you know, violence and yada, yada, yada. But I, I would just say to them, would you rather people conceal their hate? Would you rather people hide the, the type of person they are? You yeah. know, why, why would they want that? Although, I mean, a counter argument would be that censorship does work. I mean, you can censor ideas and that can suppress the ideas. But then they grow stronger. They, they develop an underground following, you know, and then they become more, more hateful. As oh, they would say. I wonder about that, though. I mean, it, it might be possible to make the ideas less powerful by giving them less play and by making a lot of people think, oh, no, no, these ideas are, are, are ridiculous and people never hear intelligent arguments um, for certain ideas. So they think they are terrible. That's a shame. I think that part of that is that a lot of people advocating for certain ideas are very stupid, though. Oh, yeah. um, you well, know, on all sides. I mean, there's a lot of stupid <laughs> people in the world. Very, very much. And I think um, what's the phrase where somebody has a bad argument that agrees with you is like a bigger disservice than somebody who disagrees with you with a good argument or something to that effect. The last thing you want mm -hmm. is somebody that is really dumb with a bad argument to mm -hmm. be agreeing with you publicly and that makes you look bad <laughs> yeah well that's what happened to donald trump where what like a member of the yep. ku klux klan endorsed him right, right and he he didn't denounce the endorsement quick enough and this was considered evidence against donald trump yeah i'm not even sure i believe that because what i heard was that he did denounce it but they were just covering that up oh yeah i i don't know exactly what happened of course i mean the, the standard rationality reply to that is like reverse stupidity is not intelligence I like that. So if you, for someone like, you know, a stupid member, a member of the Ku Klux Klan, you can't reverse what he thinks to get wisdom. It's just what he says is of no value to your thinking process. He might say something that's right. He might not. Yeah. Or, you know, or like the other says, like the devil has to mix lies with the truth. So if we assume the devil is extremely smart, but out to hurt you, the devil can't just tell lies because right, then right. you could reverse that. So the devil has to occasionally tell the truth. Huh. That's or, a good theory. I like that. That's still, it's not my theory. I guess. The, the truth of the devil. Yeah, occasionally he has to be honest because 
or else you'd, you'd catch on. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I think there's a big division between people who want to tell the truth and people who don't. And I think the people who don't want to tell the truth consider themselves to be more sensitive. You know, they're <laughs> looking out for people's feelings. But I think that overall, they hurt people more in the long run. Um, just like if somebody's sheltered from everything that's going on, you know, when they walk into a rough situation, they're going to get attacked. Yeah. So, you know, I'm same thing. Like if you're not sheltered and you know what's going on, you're more likely to have your defenses about you and you're more likely to prosper in general. It's it's never good to to be sheltered. I don't think that people should be, you know, excluded from knowledge. And people use the argument, well, if they found out, you know, it would hurt them. And I just, I don't even know if I agree with that. I don't think that finding out what is true, that acquiring knowledge hurts anybody. I just, I don't fall for that. Yeah. And there's a lot of cases where, yeah, it can do a lot of harm not to know the truth. Yeah. I mean, I think one big example is now there's a, there's a claim that something like one out of every five college women get raped on campus, which I think is, you know, it, it's much it's it's much, the real rate is much lower than that and I, I just i was thinking about that and thinking what, what if there's some woman who is not sure whether she wants to go to college or not yeah. and she hears that statistic and she doesn't know that about political correctness she doesn't know that of course that number is going to be exaggerated i mean if that was really true that's a really strong reason if you're a woman not to go to college i think that if one in five women in college get raped then that is an issue that is the college's fault if it is true mm -hmm. well that college should be college. shut down i mean if that's if you that, know if one in that, five women is getting raped why is your college still open exactly yeah, exactly but if that's what's claimed and you know I, I, most college students would understand that oh that's not really meant to be believed that's meant to be a signal that we just you know rape is really hateful which of course it is but there are people who won't know that Especially people who maybe their family hasn't gone to college, never, you know, never had someone go to college, and they'll hear that and like, oh my God, I, I like, I wouldn't send my, you know, my beautiful daughter to Afghanistan. I'm not going to eh. send her to Harvard because horrible things can happen in both places. But yeah, that's just that's so messed up. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if there's any parents that refuse to send their kids to college because of rape statistics. It wouldn't surprise me. I, at I the just, margin, I, I can see that. I mean, you know, college isn't for everyone, and there's a lot of people where it's maybe worth it by a little bit to go to college. But when you hear that, that pushes you the other way, or it should. I think that the people who are spreading, um, you know, um, rumors like that are – they have an agenda. Mm -hmm. They have a specific goal that they want to accomplish, and – it might be related to like creating more women's studies classes and might be related to creating, you know, more social justice type programs. Oh, I think yeah. that they have a very clear agenda when they start saying stuff like this, because I mean, for all practical purposes, if one in five women in college are raped, then college should not exist. Yes. You know, <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. And I think the problem is once people start mentioning that, if you say something against it, it's like you're, you're not taking rape seriously. Which is such garbage because right. the people who say stuff like that haven't even been raped. I mean, maybe maybe a, a couple of them have, but for the most part, these are just agitators. Mm -hmm. I don't hear it from people that are that actually have PTSD. Just like I don't hear from people that really have PTSD that they're triggered by words. Mm -hmm. People that have PTSD are triggered by flashbacks. They're triggered by reminders of horrible events. They're not triggered by reading a word that somebody says on the internet. I know a lot of people that are vets that are 
you know, actual rape victims and they find trigger warnings to be offensive <laughs> because it actually it makes it harder for them to recover when when people are shielding you know words from them that that is more triggering to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can certainly see that. Although I wonder if somehow if you tell people you should be triggered by certain words, if that can cause them to be triggered. Uh, wow. Well, if anybody is that unable to think for themselves, maybe they deserve to be triggered. I don't know <laughs> if you believe what somebody tells you that that's your own fault, right? Well, yeah. Although what if you thought, what if you're convinced that someone would only say something if they really, really hated you? So if your professor says that, you think, my professor really, really hates me. This is awful. And you, you, you know, you get in a bit of emotional panic. I can't imagine that. I think that it's the job of the individual to question what they're being told. And mm -hmm. it's the job of the individual to decide when something is just being told to them for um, propaganda as mm -hmm. reason or because somebody wants something out of somebody else. Um, because somebody wants to look good for the press, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like if you can't tell that somebody is bullshitting you, then you should learn how to tell. Yeah. yeah. You, you've got to deconstruct everything that people tell you until you can make up your own mind, until you can formulate mm -hmm. your own opinions without that type of influence. You know, you're, you're going to have a hard time getting through college or life. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, how how do you though protect yourself from other people thinking that you don't like them when you you know you say something honestly, but you're in a culture where people don't talk honestly about certain topics. So you you know then people will will think I'm signaling I don't like you, but that's not really the case. So you're you're kind of like defecting by accident. Well, there are a lot of people who think I don't like them because I'm very critical of everything and everyone. Mm -hmm. And the people who really know me, they know that I'm just a critical person who deconstructs everything. And I call out bullshit when I hear mm -hmm. it, no matter who it's coming from. And, you know, people that know me know that and they don't get offended by anything that I say. Mm -hmm. Like I've had trouble. Like, I'm, a, I'm a professor and my, my favorite way to help students with papers is the student will bring two copies of the paper to my office and I'll go through it. I remember when I early when I started teaching, I, I did this with a student and I, you know, she got an A minus on a paper and she wanted to know why she didn't get an A. So I went through the paper with her and I basically pointed out everything I thought was wrong. And, you know, she's an undergraduate. I could find like a mistake in almost every sentence like this. Could, you didn't need this word. It could have been this way. And I finished it. And she's looking at me like, oh, my God, thank you. But that was just I like caused her an enormous amount of pain because no Gosh. one had ever been. You know, she was an she was a really good student. But I was like, I thought I would help her, you know, go from an A minus to an A. But instead, she looked at me like, what the heck have you just done to me? And I realized after that, I, I have to be a bit more careful. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess when, when it's one of your students, you do have to mm -hmm. be more careful. And then it's it's not a matter of freedom of speech. It's a matter of doing your job. And yeah. so then, then it becomes complicated. I just, I wish that people weren't so so sensitive to things like that that doesn't make any sense well it's maybe college students are like more sheltered than ever because they're like on the internet all the time you know maybe they're it's just a different generation now because I, I don't remember people being that sensitive when i was in school it was never like that i wonder maybe we, maybe we just hit it better because yeah. i mean i think humans we care an enormous amount about how our peer group thinks about us and how about you know our our leaders think about us so maybe yeah. we just sort of hit it 
but now we're sort of being more touchy-feely and this is, you know, most people really do care more about others signaling they like them than they do about hearing truth, which is very bad for like enlightenment reasoning. Yeah, that's terrible. I think that's a horrible scenario to be in and I almost believe that if we were in some type of war that people would just stop getting hurt over the things people say because they'd have something to actually worry about. It's almost like during more peaceful times, people are just so sensitive about everything. But as soon as a real crisis or catastrophe happens, like suddenly they're not sensitive anymore. They're on their feet, you know, and they've really mm -hmm. got to hustle. Oh, so, you're... I mean, maybe it's just that I've had a hard life and mm -hmm. that I've been through a bunch of crap. Maybe that's why I'm not sensitive like them, but I, I don't think that anybody really is that I know. Um, I, the, the people that are like that, they, they're in another, they're in another world. They're in a politically correct bubble in which everybody is nice to them all the time because people that disagree with them, they cut them out of their lives. They block them, they ghost on them. So they have no exposure to the marketplace of ideas except for their own. Mm -hmm. They don't want it. They, they don't need it. They consider it beneath them. So of, of course they're going to get hurt. They don't even have any experience hearing things that are disagreeable. Yeah. I mean, what you're in economics is something called a normal good and a normal good is the richer you get, the more you want to buy of it. And I wonder if sensitivity is a normal good in that as we get richer and more secure, we, we want more sensitivity towards us. And that's, that's very bad yeah. for people who care about truth because as we're, you know, absent something really bad happening, we're likely to continue to get richer, to continue to get safer. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. I think that as people do better and they advance more in status, that they definitely have more petty problems than mm -hmm. they had before they got to that point. So this might sound a little evil, but I think a bit of struggling is good. Because I think if people aren't struggling at all, then they just become so complacent and so sensitive to things that are not hurtful at all. Yeah, no, that I think that's certainly true. And maybe that's why Donald Trump is doing better among the white working class than he is doing among, you know, I'm very rich whites because the white working yeah. class are like, yeah, he's saying a few bad things about Megyn Kelly, but so what? That's not a big issue in life. While people who are more successful are like, wait a minute, he insulted someone. That's one of the worst things you can oh, do yeah. to someone else. Yeah, they're so, acting just like the uppity liberals who freak <laughs> out about every word that everybody says. And now they're having the same reaction to Donald Trump where – um, but that was different because they're trying to get Cruz in, you know. <laughs> so I, I don't think that they really care what he said to Megyn Kelly. I think they're just – I mean, did they really care what he said to Megyn Kelly? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. They're probably – think that other, they should be worried or that other people are worried. They, they feel that Donald Trump is an embarrassment to the party mm -hmm. because of the people that he attracts. So they go out of their way to attack him for things that they don't really care about because they don't want him to further embarrass them. But what they don't realize is that the, the Trumpkins are getting more powerful because they like people saying bad things about Trump. Um, like they, somebody from like some cruise super PAC made a video comparing Trump to Hitler, right? So... And they actually showed Hitler sick hailing, and then they showed Trump giving a speech and moving his arm, and they kept showing <laughs> Trump and then Hitler and Trump and then Hitler. And, of course, all the comments on the video were, this makes me want to vote for Trump more. Yeah.
Yeah, you could probably do that with any candidate. I mean, there's, you know, you, you could say this this person, you know, these people are trans. I remember I got in trouble once with a, with a relative who was very strongly in favor of Barack Obama. And this was, you know, when President Obama was first running for office. And this relative was making the I was saying, you know, but, but, you know, Senator Obama, he's not qualified to be president. He's just been in the Senate for a little while. He has no executive experience. And the relative told me, but, you know, he's run a fantastic campaign and he's a really good orator. So I said, well, OK, but Adolf Hitler was a really good orator. <laughs> and, you know, but this relative is Jewish. And boy, he got so mad. He didn't talk to me for a long time because I what? I didn't mean to say Obama was Hitler. I certainly never thought that. But I'm like. You, come on, you're Jewish and you're telling me someone being a great orator is a qualification for high uh, office. There's this one uh, huge counterexample. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah, I don't want to be clear. I don't think Obama is not Hitler. There's no comparison. I'm not I'm not going there. I'm just saying it's one they intersect in one way. They're both very good uh, orators and they're both very, very good at political campaigning. It yeah. doesn't mean they're both evil. One was evil, but the other, you know, it's more <laughs> questionable. Yeah, I, I understand um what you meant by that yeah <laughs> i don't think you were saying obama equals hitler and nobody's but, really saying that trump equals hitler but they are little, playing though. it up they're playing it up to the extreme they are trying to scare people and convince them that some new like fascism is coming to america mm. um first of all it isn't coming to america and if it is fascist it's been here for a while oh how do you why do you think well I think that if there are people that actually want to do horrible things to people that are Jewish or black or Hispanic, that they've been around since before Trump, you know, and these people, they, they act like Trump suddenly, you know, like gave birth to these people. No, they've been bitching about the Jews and the blacks <laughs> for years. There's nothing new about these people. They aren't like Trump supporters. They're people that are douchebags you know um and now they like trump like people think that like these people didn't exist until trump or something that that's how sheltered they are from the um american working class yeah that, that's an interesting argument so the, the american working class i mean they, these are they were ignored and then suddenly with trump people are looking at them more carefully like oh wait they have beliefs we really hate yes oh this is trump's fault that's interesting so it's more yes. of a selection or observation effect trump is causing us to look at part of america that normally the media completely ignores. Exactly. That's the an interesting perspective. Always, always ignored these people. They have always been around and they have never gotten any coverage. Nobody has cared about them yeah. until Trump came along. Now suddenly everybody's writing about them. Why are they giving them attention? Yeah. Why are they giving them more of, you know, they're, they're empowering them every time one of these people gets on some mainstream media site. They're so happy. They're like, ha we made it on there, you know, really fucked their shit up. And I'm like, why, why even cover them at all? Yeah. I guess in the last election, there was Joe the Plumber, who was popular for a little while, <laughs> but he sort of faded out. And then Obama is more, I mean, not, I mean, Trump is, you know, going sort of the super Joe the Plumber, although in terms of attitude. <laughs> he he is doing that, like, I'm just a regular dude kind of thing, but, you know, he's a billionaire. And yeah. for him to even, like, behave and... A more working class matter is actually an anomaly because most people that have that much money are more refined. You know, they're they're more civilized than mm -hmm. him. Yeah, so Trump is the professional wrestler. I mean. Dynamic that he comes off as working class, but that he has that much money. I think that that's an interesting thing.
Well, yeah, in some ways that's signaling that he cares about working class values because he's yeah. like, even though I've made it, even though I'm rich, I'm still choosing to act like someone from the working class, which proves it's genuine. You don't know if someone's in the working class and they're acting like a working class, they might dream of being rich and being, you know, acting like a really rich person. But, you know, yeah. that's Trump doesn't want to do that. Yeah. So it's, it's a it's a better signal than someone who's been working class all of his life and has no had had no choice. Oh, so you're saying that they give them a sense of hope? Um, well, no, it's it's more a sense of proof. A sense of proof that they can be how they are and well, no, still that, do well. Sorry, oh, I'm not being clear. It's a proof that Trump really does have working class values. Oh, okay, because gotcha. he acts yeah, like yeah. he's in the working class, even though he clearly doesn't have to. And yeah. he has for a long time. It's, it's, it's yeah. just, just the personality we're seeing now, I think, has been there for forever. So I know, find he's... it interesting, though, because, you know, like in the, the working class communities, they generally aren't accepting of people who are billionaires. They're generally really hateful toward capitalism and success. And they accuse anybody that's doing well of like being a part of some zionist conspiracy <laughs> they're sort of like um ultra leftists in that way like money is bad success is bad if you're doing well then you're you're working for you know zionist media overlords <laughs> or whatever but like, trump is okay so. oh that's just something interesting. i mean i'm i'm half jewish so I, I guess people haven't really that that's not a crowd i've associated with but yeah <laughs> there um there is recently like a, a big influx of people being like really publicly anti-Semitic on Twitter, you know, and of course people wrote about that as like some Trump story, you uh -huh. know, like Trump, Trump's supporters are Isn't his daughter are Jewish though? And yeah. Yeah. And he's That's even cult, said that he has <laughs> a lot of Jewish people in his life and that he loves Israel. He said all of this pro-Jewish stuff and I know all these people, they overlook it. Because, I don't know, maybe they see him as, like, some kind of demigod. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I think it's part of it. Once you think someone is bad enough, then they have to have every bad trait out there. Yeah. It's like the 9-11 the terrorists, they, they had to be cowards. Yeah. Right? I mean, they obviously were horrible, but you, you also had to say they were cowards because, well, being a coward is a bad thing, and so they had to have every bad trait, even though, you know, they, they weren't cowards. It's because, you know, being a coward is, by definition, someone is unwilling to put themselves in physical danger. Well... Yeah, they, yeah, they I remember that. that that whole um controversy and people were so mad that they were saying, No, you're not a coward if you do right. that because it doesn't meet the definition of coward. Right, right. But it was more about the message of like not saying good things about the terrorists, you know. That was the thing. Like mm -hmm. you can't say that they're not cowards because that means that you support them and just all the, the cognitive dissidence that came with that. Right, you have to signal they're evil. Just so I think with Trump, people are saying he's you know racist and anti-Semitic, even though he's, I don't think he said anything racist. No, he hasn't. It's and, his supporters, yeah. and his supporters say racist things all the time. And you've got the the internet journalist, you know, scourging mm -hmm. for them, you know, and like making copies of their tweets and then writing up an article about Trump, <laughs> which you of know course... that that really has nothing to do with Trump at all. You know, who knows if these people are even Trump supporters or if they're just Internet trolls. Who knows what they really think? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And they, they take screenshots of their tweets and they say, like, this Trump supporter is a Nazi and blah, blah, blah. And they, these are people from 4chan. You know, <laughs> like, um, it's it's funny because I was actually at a dinner with Trump supporters and none of them had any clue about that whole Internet scene. Mm -hmm. Not, these are just like regular working class Americans. 
that had no idea about like any of the the Twitter trolls or any of that. Mm-hmm. They they're just like we want to stop immigration and we think Trump is the best guy to do it, you know, and that that was it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I mean, a lot of the internet's invisible. But also, I mean, if you have over a million people supporting you, some of them are going to have some pretty horrid beliefs. There's not really a way around that. Yeah, I mean, if they focused on the beliefs that Hillary supporters and Sanders supporters had that were like, hey, we should have somebody like Stalin or (laughs) Polkot come back, you know, what were the articles on that? Right, right, exactly. But Oh, well. I mean, we're all, yeah, we... Yeah, so many of us just have crazy things, especially if you don't think about something very much. I mean, you know, if you're, you know, 20 years old and you you, you might not know much about communism, you know, and you might, you're, you're not necessarily a horrible person if you think Stalin wasn't that bad, just because it you didn't study Stalin. Right, I mean, ignorance is not the same as evil. Right, was, right, exactly. But I think that it's not a good idea to have Che Guevara shirts everywhere. No, God. It's I mean, again, I can understand so ignorance, bad. but man, no, he was a vicious psychopath. We... <laughs> and for them to glorify that, yeah. I think that's just sick. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, well, Rachel, I think we should um, wrap this up. I, I really appreciate okay. you being the first person that I, I got to interview. Yeah, um, thank and, you. and tell me, so um, you, you the, the website is, um, you have trigger warning dot, um, was it WS? Dot US. Triggerwarning.us. With our new design in the next few weeks. And we have an article by you coming mm. out. <laughs> I don't know if I should spoil it, but oh, it is that's, amazing. That's fine. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's an idea. I, I discuss it with my econ students um, quite a bit as half <laughs> of a joke. Great. And I thought I would write it up. And, um, and, love it. and uh, you, you wrote a book recently? Yeah, I'm working on a new book. It's about how people perceive narratives and how narratives change the function of society. Mm-hmm. And it breaks down narratives in an economic sense and talks about why certain narratives survive and why certain narratives don't. And I should be coming out with that in this this year, okay. 2016. And what was your so, last book called? The New Reaction. Ah, The New Reaction. It's okay. a book of political rants and essays. It's considered provocative and controversial <laughs> i just had fun writing it I just had a great time okay so. all right well thank you i've enjoyed i greatly enjoyed talking with you yeah you too thanks james sure thank you all right, bye-bye later